So today, I'm going to be talking to you about Revelations. It's going to be chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, as you can see on screen. Last week, Andrew touched and introduced the series of Revelations. So we're going to talk about the letters and we're going to be looking into the deeper meaning on this series, on the weeks to come. So today is the second week. And today we're going to be looking at the first part of chapter 2. I'm going to have to make an admission. When Andrew came over and asked me if I'd like to cover for him this week, as he'd be away, I said, yeah, I accept that. I'm fine. I'm happy with that, of course. No problem. Then he came and explained to me, it's a series, and this series is going to be on Revelation. I said, oh, Revelation. So, to be honest, do I like Revelations? Not really. So, we all have parts of the Bible when reading that we like and we really like to go to, but then we also have the parts that we don't like to touch on too much and we just leave it there. So those of you might be like me as well and think, Revelations, why do we have to touch on this matter? Whereas others of you might think, okay, Revelations, let's go into the topic. So last week, as I said before, we were in groups and we were having discussions about Revelations and our ideas about what Revelation means and the meaning behind it. In my group specifically, which was on the next slide, we talked about Marmite. You might love it, or you might hate it. So that's kind of like Revelations as well. It's a good comparison. Anyways, Andrew last week gave a really good series start introduction. And it was quite interesting. So I'd like to learn more. So I pray that you guys also want to learn more as well. So if you weren't here last week... I'll give you a little mini summary of what happened, and I'll paraphrase. So some of you might remember the points from last week. Can anybody remember a specific point? Anybody? Nobody? That's correct. Revelation is revealing. It shows you. Correct. That was one point. Does anyone remember any more points? We had a couple more. Anybody? Okay, that's fine. I've got the notes myself. Let's go. So the second point was that there were letters in Revelation. And it started from I know. Every single letter started with I know. It really impacted me and had an effect because God knows everything. God knows you and my life, and he knows what's going on and what's happening. God knows all of your problems. He knows. He knows what you're successful at. He knows everything. So that really impacted me. The third point was, Jesus is Lord, which is a fact. Jesus is Lord. He's not Caesar, it's not Caesar who thought he was the king of kings or the king of gods. It was really Jesus who was Lord. So those were the main three points that impacted me from last week's series. So I just wanted to remind some of you, if you weren't here, 
or refresh some of you that were. So now I'm going to continue with our second part of the series. Also, some of you might be the first time coming here. So you're thinking, Revelations? I don't know what that is. So if you open up your Bibles, it's one of the last books. It's the same as like a, the New Testament, the back. So you might be thinking, what is it about? It's really about the end of the time and the end of the world. Most people think when reading Revelations that it's difficult and not easy to understand and it's very complex. I would have to say I'm the same. That's what I also believe. I would agree with them. It's not something you'd read in bed. However, it is important to remember something. That the letters written state that for all of us, are they for today's times? No. They were written for people back in Jesus' time when Jesus was still alive. So sometimes when reading, it doesn't look clear. To us, of course, because we wasn't born in Jesus' time. It was written for the people that were alive when Jesus was. So this week, we're going to be looking at the letters sent to where? Ephesus. So, Ephesus. I was trying to find out where it was. I was Googling and looking for the results. I was a bit worried because the first result I found was a letter. And I was thinking, who wrote the letter from Ephesus? So, I looked at the Bible first. No, I looked at the internet. I googled Ephesus. I said, where's Ephesus? It told me that it was a restaurant. <laughs> and it was a local restaurant in Leighton Buzzard, sorry. Just as 15 minutes from my house. And I thought, that can't be right. So clearly it was a mistake. So Ephesus. So Ephesus was a city which was um, located in Greece. Now it's Turkey. So if you look at the map, you can see specifically where Ephesus is. So it's right next to the ocean. So it would have been a very busy and wealthy spot because you have boats and ports meaning that people could come in and out. And there were lots of people coming through on ships, bringing things to trade and sell. So it was meant business was booming, really. So life back then is completely different to what it is now, of course. So it means that it's difficult to understand the reading and the scripture. They had life that was busy and they had wealth and businesses back then. And they also had something specific. They had a library. And on the library at the front was a big sign in Greek. And the sign said, Emperor Augustus Caesar is king of the gods. Oh, god of the Romans, sorry. In that library next to it, there was a market. And it was a very busy market. It had people coming in and out, shopping, people coming for business reasons, trading, people coming to meet for conversations, just have a chat. It meant that there was lots of life going on there. It was very busy. So into the market we had what? 
but a very specific place. A burning an area that had a fire next to it. Then you had an, an, you had a place that sold incense and perfumes. And then you'd go in and smell the incense. Then you'd put it into the fire. Why would you put incense into the fire? It was a sign of respect to Caesar, the emperor. So, imagine religion in that time. You had a massive banner that said, Emperor Augustus Caesar, who is God of the Romans. Then you've got a fireplace and you're throwing perfume in, the incense. And that was a sign of respect to the emperor. So it was really pressure because you had to do it. So you had to conform to his way and his rules of the emperor. So I was thinking personally about life. And life must have been definitely hard. So looking back to the letters, as we can see on the next slide, this is the seaport that I was talking about. So in the letters, they were sent to Ephesus. And who wrote these letters? It was John of Patmos. So if we go back to the slide, can you see where Patmos is? It's an island just off in the sea. And that's where John was, writing all of these letters sent to Ephesus. Why was John in Patmos? He'd been exiled and sent there, and so he had to stay there. So in the letters written by John, they were written for the people at that time. So it was their experiences and their way of life and the situations that he was writing for. So looking at verse 1 to 3, we can see that Christ says he knows. And he knows that you, he knows what you've been successful at. He knows your behavior. He knows that it's been good. He knows your attitude has been good. He knows your good work and what's been done. And he knows that you've been working very hard as well. He knows you've been patient. Christ also wanted to celebrate and praise you. People that have challenged evil. Those who have been continually working and not giving up. Then in verse 4, it comes like a warning, as we can see on screen. So the Bible shows us in that relationships in the church, in Ephesus, they, they had a breakdown. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of change. And the attitude changed as well. We meant the motivation changed as well. It sometimes happens with us as well. So we have a newfound excitement. We're really excited. We're ready to work. We're motivated. We want to do things. Then after time, everything starts to decrease. We start becoming less motivated, less bothered to work. It feels too hard. It's too difficult. I don't want to get involved. I can't be bothered. 
So who does that? The people that do this mean that we make excuses. And then with the excuses, we start to say, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I want to do this this way instead of that way. I don't want to do this. It's too hard for me. It's too much work for me. So the standards start to drop. The boundaries become a lot more flexible and they're not rigid anymore. So I'm thinking, why, why don't I? I can't compare what happened before because I didn't live in that time. So how do we change? So we have to think. So verse 5 says, think. So we need to think, we need to look at ourselves and reflect. Check our behavior, check our patterns. Check our attitude. We need to reflect. The behavior that God wants from us, it's not a checklist that we just tick off. Yes, I've done that, yes, I've done that, yes, I've done that, and then just be done with it and leave it in a drawer. That's not how it works. It's something we need to do continually and practice on. It doesn't end. We need to think about continuance and not just one-offs, being good once, working hard once. Secondly, verse 5 also says, if you look at the next slide, turn. Our behavior, if it isn't appropriate, we need to change, we need to turn. We've thought about okay, this is what isn't good with my behavior. It's not appropriate. It's not right. My attitude is not right. Then the next step would be making the decision to turn and change from that, to divert away. It is hard sometimes because of the world and the behavior in the world and the attitude in the world. It influences us, of course. It's all around us. I want to be like them. I'm comparing myself to them. That looks interesting. Oh, it's easy. Yes, I want to do that as well. But we need to think for ourselves and do our own research. And then, after our thoughts and our thinking process, decide to change. And with that change, we need to apologize and accept. Accept the need to change. So the third point would be in verse 5 is do what you did at first. So what you've done from the beginning is what you should refer to. So we've been looking at the Bible, talking about it calls us to change our behavior and act a specific way. Which means that we need to develop a cycle. Our thinking process, our changing process, and our reflecting on what we did at the start process which is the cycle. So looking at that cycle will be continuous. It works regularly as it keeps turning and turning. It's not a one-off. We don't just do it once. It's something we need to do continuously every single day, every single week, every single month. So the next part of the verse says, do we need to change nothing and ignore everything? No. It says that it will come to you and you will t- 
take the golden lamb stamps from this place. So as we can see, when I say golden lamb stamps, what, what is that? So first we can see chapter 1 in verse 12. In the reading it says, there will be lampstands which represent the seven churches. So I was thinking, okay, we have the lampstands for the seven churches, and they give us light. They allow us to see. They see what we're doing. They see where we're going. That without the light being there, we don't know where we're going. We're lost. We can't do anything. It becomes problematic. So I was in the middle of the night sleeping, and then I woke up. And I thought, oh, I've got some ironing left to do. Did I leave the iron on? I'm not too sure. So for me to go downstairs and check that I hadn't left the iron on, because I didn't want to wake my husband, he was, in sli- he was asleep. So I couldn't use the light. So to navigate my way down the stairs, I had to feel my way, making sure I didn't walk into the wardrobe or a drawer. So after I got to towards the door, I had to navigate by touching things. It would have been a lot easier if I just used the torch or turned the light on and then simply been on my way. So, we do have light. But we also need to check, even if we have the light, even though I can see, we still need to look. You can use your hand to go down the railing, down the stairs. It's not just a matter of looking up and walking straight. You still need to look with your own eyes. Which means I have light, but I still need to check the Bible. I still need to check my behavior is correct and appropriate. So verse 8 says, sin doesn't change, it continues. Sin is sin as it was before, as it is now. But with the lampstands, they help take away sin. Which means that we, as a church, what are we like as a lampstand? How do we symbolize and show in the community and our neighbors that we're there? So what would happen if the lights just stopped and we had no more light? Where would the people know where to go? What to do? Who to seek out? How would they know? So we have a responsibility to continue being the light and showing the way and continuing to show that we are next to each other. We're here. We're a family. We're a community. We work together. There's a working space here where God is and will show how God wants us to behave. So maybe some of you feel, it's too hard, no, it's too much work, no, I don't want to get involved. But verse 1 says, he who walks with the lampstands means that they're walking with Jesus, he's there with you, you're never alone. So you might be walking in multiple directions, but you're never alone. Jesus is always there with you, guiding and showing you the way.
Verse 7 in the New Testament says, he encourages you to listen and receive. It says, if you have ears, it's a little bit of a joke telling you about ears and hearing since I can't hear because I'm deaf profoundly and I wear hearing aids. But if you have ears, doesn't matter. Deaf, hearing, doesn't matter. But God wants all of us to receive and understand him. He wants us to focus on him. So it's like in the world sometimes, we're pressured to change, to behave like that, to conform. So it's like traders in the market. They can't always get the price that they want. It means that they have to negotiate. It's like the people that had to put the incense in the fire. They had to conform. But Jesus says, no, don't worry, I'm with you. So in Revelations, it's not really clear, but it talks about the New Testament, it talks about church, it talks about behavior and doing the wrong things and continuing the right things. So in this world today, the government... There's a lot of influences. There's a lot. To behave this way, to do this, to do that. So we have plenty of free time and free time, freedom, ultimately. We have lots of freedom. So it means we can make a choice. We have free will. We may feel different. Some people might not feel like that because in the outside world, they don't have that free will choice. But they should know that God is with them. At the end, who do we want to please, really, really and truly? Do you want to please God? Or do you want to please your neighbor, the world? We can't serve two people at the same time. It's like the people from before in Revelations. You can't serve Caesar and God, it's just not possible. So we have to think, like I said before. Think about what's next. Do we want to turn? Do we want to look at the beginning and continue that cycle? Do we want to serve God the way we started? Like when we first met him? What's your decision? So think. Think, turn, do you like before? Or forget about it and just continue what we're doing because it's too much work. I'll leave that one with you. Thank you.